Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Uh, here we have a special guest today, Matt Frad. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, me too, me too. <laughs> and Laura's as well. So um, would you mind introducing yourself to us, Matt? Sure. My name is Matt. I'm from originally from Australia. I met my wife, who is an American, doing missionary work overseas. And uh, we, I moved to America. We got married in 2006, so it's been 10 years of marriage this year. Uh, we have four kids. We've lived all over the place, uh, and uh, I primarily speak on the dangers of pornography, and so I write on that topic, and I travel and speak on that issue as well. Awesome. So, Thank you. Yeah. I know that we... Uh have a lot of listeners that are really interested in that topic because we've touched on it a little bit before but it's kind of like inexhaustible mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and so we've gotten uh one of our more popular episodes was on porn so uh, i'm so excited to be able to uh, go a little bit more into it <laughs> and i want to i want to tell listeners that it's 8 a.m here in la while it's 11 o'clock for you guys and so you know pornography in the morning is just starting my day right off oh, porn in the a.m <laughs> yeah, it's funny i've been doing this for so long now that i fail to see why it's funny anymore you know like i say to people yeah. i said to someone just yeah. before i was on the phone with you i said to someone you know like with my porn work and they laughed yeah. I'm like, oh, yes, yes. That was funny for me five years ago. But after a while, it's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, I, I do want to get into these questions. Um, but b- before that, I do want to compliment you uh, or your wife uh, through you because I've been listening to her podcast. Yeah. Time. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. And I, I really love what she's doing. And I think that she's filling a space with moms, um, particularly moms. I know it's for women in general, but uh, I just really appreciate what she's doing. I'm not a mom yet, but you know, I've been pointing people to her podcast because I'm just at that age where I have a bunch of friends who have lots of little children and they feel like they're all failing at life. And I'm like, nope, listen to this podcast. You, you yeah. are not alone. You can fail along with Cameron. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're all feeling together. Community of failures. <laughs> so well, that's her, great. Thank you for saying that. That's, her, I'll let yeah. her know. Yeah, she does a great job. Her podcast is called Among the Lilies, and you also have a podcast, Matt, right? Yes, yes, I have a couple. One is Integrity Restored. That's prim- that's for people who, you know, either struggle with sexual sin, pornography in particular, or love someone who does. And then I have another website, which is like a philosophy geek website. It's called Pints with Aquinas. So those are the two oh, nice. that I run, yeah. But for the sake of today's discussion, yeah, people could check out Integrity Restored. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I opened this up to a few friends and listeners. And well, someone asked a really good question, which was, what do you say to someone who believes that porn is normal, a need as simple as candy that can ab- be abused like anything done in excess? Right. That's a, that's a good question. So what the what this person is arguing is 
you know, essentially everything in moderation. So like they might say, well, you know, it well, just like you said, pornography is like junk food. Okay, so yeah, we all get it. Like junk food's not good for us if you have a steady diet of it. But occasionally, like it's okay. Well, there's a difference here because my argument isn't just that pornography is wrong because it may result in negative consequences like porn-induced erectile dysfunction, like uh, volume loss in the frontal lobes of the brain. And we could point to the studies that have sort of verified these sorts of things. Uh, it's not just that it can lead to someone desiring more abusive, misogynistic sex. It, it, it's not just wrong because it can affect the minds of young people. It's wrong in and of itself, right? And so in, in, the, in the church, we use this, this language of intrinsic evils. And so something is intrinsically evil when it's wrong in and of itself, independent of whatever consequences may result from it. And so, you know, when someone says everything in moderation, they probably don't mean racism. Like they, they probably. <laughs> right. Or can probably, be just a little yeah. racist and you'll be fine. Yeah, right. Or they probably don't mean like, you know, child abuse. Um, so the question then becomes, is pornography wrong in and of itself or is it only wrong because of the consequences? Now, if it is only wrong because of the consequences, then I would agree with your friend that, OK, well, if that's the case, then theoretically pornography could be morally neutral, like candy or like a gun or like something like that. And it's just a matter of not abusing it. Um but my contention would be that pornography is intrinsically evil. So um, he, here's how I would argue for that. And and I think I would like to begin with Wojtyla. You know, he wrote Love and Responsibility before becoming John Paul II. He mm -hmm. said this. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous quote. He says, the human person is a good towards which the only proper and adequate attitude is love. So that statement is either true or false. Um, and I, we don't have time perhaps in this podcast to look into the ontological rationale that sort of undergirds it, but I think most people think that is true, even if they're not sure why it's true. Hmm. And, and so forgive me if I'm getting too deep too quickly. No, here, but, no, oh, go, go dive right in. Love it. And when people think it's true, when they think the human person is a good towards which the only proper and adequate attitude is love, they don't think, generally speaking, they don't think they're committing the error of speciesism, which is a sort of uh, unjustified bias in favor of one's own species. They think it's just like a fact about the way the world is. It's a fact about reality. And so then we should ask like two questions. We should ask, like, what is love? Since, you know, if, if Voiti was right, then we need to know what, what is love and, and, and what does porn entail? And so, I, you know, Voitiwa, along with Thomas Aquinas before him, would say that l to love another is to will the good of the other. Like, it at least involves that. So, like, even though I will my wife as a good for me and every person who's married, you know, ought to want the other as a good for them, <laughs> right? But if I want my wife as a good without wanting her good, like this is not love. So love always involves willing the good of the other. With pornography, the problem is that it celebrates, glorifies, you know, promotes, is itself documented evidence of an attitude that is actually in direct opposition to love, 
And what is that? Well, that's use. So if love is to will the good of the other, like use is just when we we want the other as a good for us without recognizing the other person as an end in and of themselves. Immanuel Kant talked about this in his sort of categorical imperative, part of which was, you know, that you should never treat a person merely as a means to an end. Uh, But I think in pornography, this is exactly what happens. And for that reason... I think that pornography is wicked. I think it is evil. So whether one's viewing it once a month, once a year, once a day, I think every instance of that is 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 evil. In a similar way to we mentioned a moment ago, racism. Like if I make a racial slur, it it, it would be less bad if I only made racial slurs once a month than if I made them every week, okay? (laughs) That would be less bad. But less bad doesn't mean good. And so I would say with your friend, like, obviously not all forms of porn are equally wicked. So, like, child porn is clearly more evil than what we think of when we think of the old, you know, Playboy centerfold. But, um, But less bad doesn't mean good. And so that's... That's my sort of basic thought. I don't, I don't know what you think. Right. Oh, well, yeah. can I can I, I really appreciate all of that. I think that's convicting me in a new way. And not that I am into porn or anything, but I wanted to back <laughs> up and talk about I, this might be more self-evident definition of right. porn because because obviously, like what you just said, you can see the old like you can think of like the old school, like Playboy. But then there's so many different ways that you can access porn now. And I would even venture just as you were talking just into other content such as Game of Thrones is like the common um, thing that people throw at that like is a divisive like, oh, it's so like graphic. Like, why would you subject yourself to that? But it's a good story. Like people have these arguments about right. Game of Thrones or, or anything that's on HBO or Showtime. <laughs> so <laughs> I just I just wanted to throw that out there because I I, I feel these like uh, levels of conviction every now and then, like I'll come across a, a sermon or, or a speaker that will talk about porn or just um, sex in general as depicted in media. And this is something that I have have been desensitized to over the years, especially having lived in L.A. and, you know, being exposed to all the various forms of storytelling. But I wonder, as Christians, as you were just talking right now is to in loving people, like how far do you extend that um, extend the definition of porn or abusing one another in, in exposing, you know, the ugly of life or, you know, parts of us we may not, or we shouldn't be exposing each other to like, how have you talked about that in, uh, in previous maybe speaking engagements or, or in other ways? Yeah, yeah, I have. And so let me share a few thoughts and then get your opinion so I can learn from you as well, because it's not like I'm sitting up here in my ivory tower, fully convinced of everything that I think sure. is true. So it'd be nice for some back and forth. But it's it, you're right. It's important if we want to demonize porn, which I wish to do, uh, um, <laughs> it would be good if we knew what pornography was. You know, there was a infamous story of a U.S. Supreme Court justice. His name was Potter Stewart. And he was asked, I think it was back in the, golly, late 50s, whether or not a particular film, which was called The Lovers, he was asked whether or not it constituted hardcore pornography. And what he said has become kind of famous, right? He said something to the effect of, I know it when I see it, essentially. 
You know, like, mm. and what is in that motion picture is not it. And you think, well, surely we can do better than that. You know, sure. like, sure. So yeah. let me run this definition by you and you okay. tell me what you think. Okay? okay. I think this is a pretty good definition. I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's not perfect. I'm positive it's not perfect. But how about this? A pornography is material that depicts erotic behavior with the intention of eliciting sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think that, you that, di- I think that if you disagree, important. it'd be more fun. I just, I, I just know. Want to see yeah. <laughs> no, actually, because that's pretty much the definition that I give it to it. The really important thing is intent, although yes. I can see an argument. You know, I think it it kind of does differ for different people that if you actually do have a problem, like if you get aroused by Game of Thrones, then you probably shouldn't watch it, even though I think probably the creators of Game, Game of Thrones are not necessarily intending to make you aroused but i guess that could be uh right. argued as well i mean because the difficult thing <laughs> so, so you might modify the definition slightly and say something like erotic material that depicts erotic behavior that is intended to or just does yeah elicit yeah so okay yeah so it, but if we think the definition is like okay let's like lowball sure. it here yeah. you know then what we can then begin doing is running things through the filter of that definition rather than you know coming to the table with what we are convinced is or is not pornography mm-hmm. and then adjusting the definition to our own liking. Yeah, that so that's sense. why I think it's important to come up with the definition first because if you like that definition, then you get to ask questions like, uh, you know, is Fifty Shades of Stupid, uh, (laughs) you know, as poorly written as it was, was it, uh, you know, material that depicted erotic behavior with the intention of arousing one sexually? The the answer is obviously yes. Absolutely. Um, And we could say then maybe we could say something like well what about like i don't know the victoria secret fashion show like is this material that depicts now here's here's what i'd like to say i don't think it's always black and white mm-hmm, sure. like i think that there's probably room for some gray area where we're not sure but but just my point is i think that's a good place to start you know for example if, if someone once said to me something like well i wish i was I forget who they who said this. They probably said it as a joke, but they said, "Yeah, if I was blind, at least I could be free of porn." But oh, believe no. it or not, Playboy back in the day came out with Braille porn. So <laughs> oh like, Lord, are you serious? Yes. Wait, yes. What, what is Braille porn? <laughs> well, like, I, I mean, my, my assumption is that it's like maybe an erotic novel. Yeah, I would. But maybe I would, I'm wrong. Maybe it's got. I don't know. I don't even want to begin like outlines. Conjecturing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> It's like these like fake boobs that like you open the page and just like right. Oh. Maybe like I'm sure that exists, right? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So, so the point is like that. That's pornographic, and the word pornography itself comes from two Greek words, uh, porne and graph pain. And, and and etymologically, that would just mean the writing of the prostitutes because graph pain means write. That's where we get the word graffiti, you know, and then porne has to do with like a sexual a- act brought about by payment, you know. Uh, so anyway, so, OK, well, that's that's pretty good. So what about your. So here's here's another thing. You mentioned intention a moment ago. I think a big part of it is indeed in intention. So let me let's think of a funny thought experiment. Suppose you for some reason. You're in L.A. over there. 
Um, so suppose uh, a friend of yours goes and watches, you know, this this new pornographic film that's released, and they're doing a big screening, red carpet event kind of thing. And, and suppose your friend goes to this, and she watches this pornographic film, and at the end, she walks past the director, and she shakes his hand, and he says, "What did you think?" And and she says to him, "I thought it was lovely. You know, I thought that the the dialogue was very sophisticated. I thought the lighting, the use of lighting, was." interesting oh, uh you know <laughs> interesting. The, the, the twist in the plot there you know i, I thought it was you know, just very uh well done job well done now he would look at her like with this expression of bewilderment he would he would he essentially would either think she was joking and if he didn't think she was joking he might say uh-huh did it get you off or mm-hmm. like Something like, did you know, what, however he might phrase it. Now, suppose your friend was to sort of like laugh and say, oh, my goodness, no. Well, sorry, was it supposed to? <laughs> like, what, what do you think his reaction would be? I failed. Oh, I failed. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like he would be offended probably. Yeah. Now, now, okay. Now, let's think about someone who's painting a, a, a nude, okay, uh, at some beautiful piece of naked art. Like in, let's just say the the Sistine Chapel, just because I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. You know, suppose you walked into the Sistine Chapel while Michelangelo was painting these nudes and he's looking up at these breasts and and buttockses and and he says, oh, oh, Mikey, buddy, this is get this is this is hot stuff, you know. Now, I think Michelangelo would have one of two reactions. He would either question your psychological health or he would be like genuinely concerned that his images had that effect on you. So I think that is something to consider, the intention of the artist. Now, I'll shut up after this because I'm aware that I'm going on too long. No, no, you're Um, not. (laughs) Now, the intention of the viewer is also to be taken into consideration because just like you said a moment ago, maybe it's possible for you to watch Game of Thrones and see a rather graphic sexual scene and you don't find it sexually arousing. Like maybe you kind of just feel pity for this Mm -hmm. person who's being – you know, used or manipulated, or maybe you're watching pornography and you just think to yourself, like, how sad that this person doesn't know how lovely they are. Like only someone who doesn't know that would be engaged in this sort of thing. Right now. So for you, while objectively speaking, it's pornography, subjectively, it isn't. Mm -hmm. Now that's not an excuse to subject ourselves to pornography, but I think there's something to be said there. Now, could, you know, at the same time, though, if someone were to look at a picture of uh, naked art, you know, even though that isn't objectively pornography, it could become subjectively pon- you know, porn- pornographic right. if there was this distortion in mm-hmm. the in in the heart of the viewer. So I think the goal, and I'll I'll stop with this. I think the goal is to align the intention of the artist and the intention of the viewer to be in sync with the dignity of the human person. Mm, right. I, I agree with that 100 percent. Of course, I do believe that there is like an objective point to defining certain things as graphic or or porn- pornographic. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, who I'm a huge fan of, gives this illustration of I won't go through the whole thing, but of a man that walks into an art gallery and makes the accusation of like, well, all these nude people on, you know, that people have painted, like, why don't you count that as art? And uh, the response is, hey, uh, why do you count it as art or as porn? Or, or like, why? Sorry, yes, why? Why not count these works of nude art as porn? Right. And his famous response to that has always been like, 
you lie, you don't know the difference between what nature has meant for nourishment and what it has meant for garbage. And uh, it, there, there's this whole thing about, um, I'm just quoting what I uh, just looked up right now because I remember that being such a stark uh, thing in my head when he talked about it. It's like uh, art utilizes nude figures for the purpose of highlighting the beauty of man while pornography engenders lust. Art engenders admiration for the glory and beauty of the human body and thus the glory of its maker. However, I think you make a great point about aligning the intent of the artist and the intent of the viewer because certainly Paul makes this point in uh, the New Testament about, you know, be there for your weaker uh, uh, friend, you know, like if, if they don't eat meat, you know, maybe abstain from eating meat. If they, you know, if they are likely to fall in a certain um, uh, habit or, or uh, uh, characteristic or behavior, maybe you hold off in doing that. Even if you're strong, you need to be strong for your friend um, and then help each other because we're all in various states of um, how strong we are in our faith or in our, you know, or behavior. I don't mean to be a behaviorist, but uh, I think that because we were talking earlier about uh, just content that we view, uh, even in like films or whatnot, you know, like uh, maybe I can go to a movie and it not necessarily bother me uh, if there is like a uh, a sex scene. Um, I think there that's probably not super true, but you know, like let's just say that. But then I probably sure. wouldn't go with like my fiance to a a movie in which it's like showing lots of nude women and like subjecting them to like misogynistic behavior. And I, I probably wouldn't go, you know, and sit by side beside like my fiance or let alone like, let's say my dad or something, you know, like obviously there are certain things that will trigger people differently. And I think we have to be sensitive to that, but I really love you saying that about like intent of the artist, intent of the viewer. Cause I think that is something that we need to take into account as well. Of course, I do think that there is a stark definition of like what that really means as far as what is pornography. And I feel like when people say like, well, what about, you know, Game of Thrones? Again, this is the only example I can just kind of throw out there. Or <laughs> let's say Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades of Stupid. I, that was hilarious. Um, uh, you know, like that was clearly made for a specific intent. And um, I, I oh, man, I don't know where I was going. Where was I going with that? I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I agree with you. It, it is made for a, a specific end, which is to elicit sexual sexual arousal and 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 right. probably masturbation. Yeah. Right, and that's clearly the intent of it. And I wouldn't, I anybody that tried to argue with me about like, oh, I like the story or like the actors are great, <laughs> like I would probably argue with them in a very heated way. But yeah, um, I'll feel sorry for them that they haven't been exposed to more sophisticated literature. Oh, because like seriously. someone who finds Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey like good literature, like yes. mustn't have been raised well or mustn't have been exposed to the classics exposed. or right. Yeah, right. They just and don't know any that's, better. That's yeah. something to pity, I think. Well, but this brings up an interesting point as well, uh, which we kind of because uh, Lara and I are involved in the film industry. Like, I'm a writer, she's a producer, and so I often have this question, even if something is not intended uh, for someone to masturbate to it or intended to arouse, there's still a lot of stuff out there that depicts using other people, and mm -hmm. that is what bothers me, and it's a whole other deeper level, um, and it kind of comes through when 
uh, actually you realize when you start meeting people that work in the industry is that actually a lot of people do have this attitude. A lot of directors and writers and producers actually do have this attitude that people kind of should be used. And so that's where it gets a little bit tricky is you can't really even see. It's really hard to figure out what the intent of the artist is sometimes because you know, like I've had someone tell me, you know, I asked someone if I could work on a set and he was like, of course you could work on my set because you're, you're cute and nothing makes men work like cute girls. And so, uh, you know, yeah, you're totally welcome on my set. And it wasn't because, you know, I'm talented and I work hard and I'm really Mm. dedicated and, you know, I have just as much experience as the men do. It was because my body would be able to inspire these other men to work. And that's just a very, very low level example, like the lowest level of working in yeah. the industry. <laughs> and, and, yet, and yet, and yet, we do make use of each other all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, the same thing might be said of like a strong man, you know, and you're you're making use of him as an employer in order to be a bouncer. I make use of my wife in order to have children and to have you know a, a companion. So I think the problem, and tell me what you think, the problem isn't that we use each other, because I think there's a legitimate sense in which if I say to my child, like, go upstairs and bring me down this, like, I am using them, Mm -hmm. but it's never without losing sight of the dignity of their personhood. Yeah, that's the key element, I think. And But whenever we experience someone who is using us without, you know, without reference to our intrinsic dignity, like, I think you may have experienced you just feel so gross and i think that that's like this kind of inner alarm that should wake us up you know that 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 we're we're more than inanimate objects of pleasure well i think it also involves looking at someone like a sorry animate sorry animate objects of pleasure (laughs) i want to get that right (laughs) i guess it depends on the person but um No, but yeah, I think that's that's the key point is looking at someone like a whole person. Um, and so you may be using someone for a specific characteristic, but you're not losing sight of the entire person that they are and all of the characteristics and all of the dignity and the fact that they're made in the image of God versus like, yes, there's one characteristic of you that I desire. And that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah it's which- like you're slicing off this part part of of your personhood and like that'll do it's like it's 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 reductive yeah Yeah, and that's what porn does too it like it reduces a person to the lowest common denominator and says like that's all i need that's all i need and i'm not interested like when a man or a woman masturbates to pornography they are not interested in this person in their fears in their hopes um it's a it's commonly done in the porn industry that if you're a porn performer who has scars you know on you from self-harm um thinking for example of bella knox you know the, the duke mm-hmm. university you know she talked about just recently she came out and said she's a, a rape victim ex-cutter but that these cuts are often like makeup over which right. just made me so sad that like we're not even interested in your wounds like you don't have a past you know, you don't have a childhood, you don't have dreams, you don't have hopes. All you are is a sort of receptacle for me. You're, you're like a, you're like a carton of cigarettes. Like you d- 
deliver to me what it is I want. And it would be foolish to keep the cigarette container once I've smoked the last one. Hmm, and, yeah. uh, and that just seems to me to be absolutely atrocious. That's, it just reminded me of the exact reasons of why we loathe the idea of like one night stands or just using people <laughs> yeah. for sex, you know, like friends with benefits or anything like that. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. You're just using this person uh, for the me, you know, for a certain means. As a means and once to it's an over, end. yeah, and once it's over, you mm-hmm. like, you know, you dismiss it. You dismiss this person. I, I do want to touch on just as you were talking. It made me think of how when we think think about like porn and porn addiction, we often first go to like men. Uh, we think about men being addicted and all of those things because that it affects them more. But I was wondering, like, since you are an expert in this area as far as porn recovery and and speaking on chastity and all of those things, what is your experience in researching or talking to women particularly on this subject? Because I don't think that we often think about women having issues like this uh, as much as we do with men. And certainly, you know, men are the more prevalent gender to be subjected to this area of, you know, addiction and all that. But it does happen to women as well. Do you have any thoughts mm-hmm. that you could share with us on, on that end? Yeah, I could speak for an hour. I won't, but I could. <laughs> you know, so imagine if uh, as a man, imagine as a young boy, you're growing up and you know, maybe you're skinny and you wish you weren't. Maybe your voice hasn't kind of dropped yet and you wish that it had. And 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 imagine everywhere you went, whether that be to, uh, you know, youth conferences or Bible studies or whatever, what have you, you kept getting told that only women struggle with how they look. And that this isn't something that men care about as much you know like this is a woman saying they're they're concerned whether or not they're thin whether or not you know whatever like wouldn't that be just like a really lonely experience for for young men and 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 so i can't help but feel angered when i hear people say either outright or implicitly that women don't struggle with pornography because pornography is an isolating enough behavior like you feel kind of crap it's isolating enough without having someone tell you that this isn't something that you should be struggling with. And I think uh, as a church, like, like, yeah, we failed in a lot of areas and this is one of them. Like, um, are you familiar with Steubenville conferences? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- there's like tens of thousands of young people around the country. I think it's about 70,000. They go to these big events. Now, thank God over the last five or so years, uh, women have, began addressing this, it seems to me. But prior to that, it kind of felt like, you know, you go to a men's retreat or a men's talk. And what do you hear? You you hear them talking about porn. And and if you were to kind of creep over and listen to the women's session talk, you might hear about, you know, like you're a princess or something, <laughs> which which I'm just I don't know how much that resonates, but people keep talking about it. But I think it's let me just sum it up this way. Like if you are listening to me right now and you have said women don't struggle with porn you need to stop saying that and for two reasons one it's not true and two it's really offensive mm-hmm. so i speak to about 50 to 70,000 teens and and college students every year I don't really remember a time where women haven't approached me and thanked me for addressing this issue. I've seen some statistics and I know, you know, take it for what it's worth, but I saw one that said one in three women struggle with pornography and masturbation. 
Uh, and to me, that doesn't seem like that would be at all a, 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 um, a sort of exaggeration. When you're raised in a pornified culture, when you're exposed at a very young age to body punishing sorts of pornography, and you haven't been warned about it by your parents, and so you're curious, and so you go back and you have this desire for touch and intimacy, right? You have that and you don't really know what to – it just makes sense to me that, of course, people are going to get sucked into this. And so, yeah, a lot of young women struggle with porn. What would you say uh, – I'm just really curious because, if you know, we live out in L.A. and there are lots of people that work in the porn industry. And so what would you say to people who – are, you know, like, well, I'm the one that's calling the shots. Nobody is disrespecting me. I'm living my own life. And, I, you know, I'm dictating how I run things. And, you know, I this is how I'm happy. I enjoy having sex. And I like people filming it. So and, you know, nobody is telling me what to do. And I just feel totally happy and free when I do this. What and would empowered. You say that? Yeah. Yeah. That it's actually right. more empowering. Right. Okay. Um, here's what I would say. And he, 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 I would, might have a different response if I was speaking to this person directly. Of course. But, yeah. but for the p- purpose of our conversation, uh, I'm of the opinion that just because one finds a particular action liberating, that doesn't mean that they're right. Yeah. Uh, just because just because a person finds a particular action empowering doesn't mean that they're right to. So during the, you know, this 2016 you know, presidential uh, train wreck thing that happened, <laughs> right. like the whole lead up right. to it. Like we started learning about these people who were openly like white supremacists, right? Yeah. And and you go online and I didn't realize this, but there's like a, like a, a neo-Nazi USA Twitter account. And um, now, while I think sometimes people use this rhetoric to paint everyone, you know, with this broad brush, there are certainly people who, uh, who are actually racist, you know what I mean? And, um, (laughs) and I suppose that they find that empowering, but I don't care. I think that they're wrong to, uh, and I also think that if one finds being engaged in abusive sex, whether or not it's, you know, consensual, I don't think that they're right. Uh, here's here's the question I would like to ask. Does a woman's inability to perceive her own dignity give you or me the right to take from her whatever she's willing to give? Mm. Because if it does mean that, then okay, look, maybe maybe it is maybe it's okay to do that. Uh, but I just tend to think that it's a manly thing to treat a woman with you know, who has forgotten her dignity with dignity anyway. I, I just, that just seems to me to be a kind of a, a, a masculine trait or just a good human being sort of <laughs> trait. Yeah. Like maybe you ladies have had an experience of this. Maybe you've had a girlfriend who begins dating somebody and everyone in your circle who loves this girl is saying to her, like, this guy isn't good for you. Yep. Like you're less, <laughs> yeah, you've had this experience. Oh, oh yeah. I think <laughs> Laura had that experience. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> and, not and, to and, call you out. <laughs> and you might yep. say to this person, like, you are less of yourself when you're around him. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't, and if they said to you, well, I find it empowering, that you wouldn't be like, oh, 
Oh, well, okay then. Well, if that's fine. Great. You find yeah, it empowering. Yeah. You, like, I think it's okay to disagree with people. <laughs> like, right. uh, so does that answer your question or begin to? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it all comes down to, to that. It's how much dignity are you actually willing to treat people with? And, and how much love are you willing to offer to someone, even if they're not the ones that are seeing it themselves? Right. And I, I think it all comes down to also for the specific performer that might be saying this, it's not about treating the symptoms, it's about treating the heart, right? That's what we mm. say about right. sin all the time, about, you know, uh, anything that it might be. Um, and it's getting to this person and really showing them their intrinsic worth as a child of God. And, you know, it's getting to that's the hard part. That's the part where we need to show unconditional love. And, and, and I know it gets messy when you want to show them support, but also let them know what they're doing is wrong. I mean, you would do that in a loving way, just in the example of what you gave of like, if a, a friend is dating somebody that they shouldn't be dating, or it's like, how do you support this person and love them in their decisions? Mm-hmm. Because that is their prerogative. But also, show them a better way without being too pushy. It's like, it's a really messy place to be because if they're not seeing their intrinsic worth and seeing um, what you see, then it is really hard. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. just attack the symptom. You can't just attack this person's line of work, you know, or this person's love for this other person. It's tricky, but we need to be Jesus to people and love in an unconditional way. Which can be hard, especially when it's somebody that you do care about and you want to see rise above their circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think part of it is that so few people have experienced really being unconditionally loved. And, I mean, if we walked around with that knowledge that we are loved unconditionally all the time, I think our behavior would be much different. <laughs> We'd be crying constantly. <laughs> Just all the time, yeah. <laughs> We just wouldn't even be able to speak, Um, you know, but it's uh, actually being the person to show unconditional love to someone else is a huge task. And I think some people are imperfect at it. And some people are imperfect at receiving that love as well, uh, because we don't really know what it looks like. Yeah. And and, and, and to get a little Jesus-y on everybody. (laughs) This, is that okay that I do that? Yeah, of course. Please, yeah. This is what my relationship with our blessed Lord consists of. Like, it consists of him telling me I'm beautiful and saying lovely things to me and me telling him to piss off. Yeah. Uh, And my whole story of my relationship with Christ, I think, is found in the second chapter of the Song of Songs, where, you know, it's like my Lord is leaping over the mountains and there he stands behind the wall, peering through the lattice, you know, looking through the window. And he says, like, my love, come away with me. Uh, See, the snow is gone. Flowers appear on the earth. Uh, The turtle dove can be heard singing in our land. Let us catch the foxes, you know, that are spoiling the vineyard. And um, and I'm the dove burying my head in the rock, giving Jesus the middle finger. And the reason right. for this is I just don't believe him. Yeah, I right. don't. And and um, my my conversion to him is as I as I begin to allow his words to, as I begin to believe them, I begin to turn toward him. But I'm so desperately afraid that that underneath all of it, I'm fractured, like deep yeah, down, yeah. beyond repair. Like, yeah, maybe you can cleanse me of all of this junk, but you don't understand, Jesus. Like, I'm I'm too much, and I'm not enough, and I'm fractured beyond anything you could love. So shut up. 
you know? Yeah. And I mean, if I experience that as someone who's not engaged, I hope not, at least in, you know, seriously disordered behaviors, like how the heck does someone who's engaged yeah. in an action like that begin to hear that voice? Um, because I imagine. I think one of the toughest jobs in the church today is to give a woman's talk, because as soon as you say to women you're beautiful, they want to t- rip you apart. And I think it's partly because they're not actually like. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's actually a part that they say like you're beautiful. Well, no, not really. Like, you're actually flawed, and you're not perfectly beautiful. And you're not perfectly pure, and you're not perfectly holy. Like, and so it's like we don't believe it, and in a sense, we don't. We shouldn't. Oh, gosh, I'm, does that make no, sense? I, yeah. No, I totally get it. Like, like you're uh, not. Like, we're not sexually pure. We're not perfect. Yeah. We're not good. Like, in in one sense, we are, of course, because we're gods. But in another sense, we're we're into, we're very much fractured. And so, when someone rushes in and says you're lovely, I you want to do to them what I often want to do to our blessed Lord. And so it's this, I think it has to be this slow process where we take interest, not in this one section of this person's life, how they're acting out sexually, but we, we take a holistic view of the person and love them and, and, and are interested in their dreams and concerns and fears and hopes, you know, that have to do with more than just the pornography they're involved in. I think that might be a, a place to start. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Uh, like verbal diarrhea there. No, no, it's it, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and it, it's true. Um, I think uh, you're totally right. It is really hard to speak to women because often, especially people in the church, I feel like professional speakers, or whatever, or, or even people that write articles and stuff. There's this whole narrative of like, well, women are, you know, like the ivory tower, and they're so pure, and because of their sweetness, and because of this and that, and just so many women find themselves not being able to relate to it and just kind of mm-hmm. shrug everything off right. And, right? and throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. And yeah, it's because we, we know, we yeah. know we're not perfect. We know right. we're not perfectly yes. beautiful, <laughs> but you know what we have, a it, it's, it's redirecting the narrative to face God, not ourselves about mm. God is perfectly beautiful. God yes. is perfectly yeah. perfect. Oh yeah. And there I is, was just, yeah, there is an ideal that we can live up to, but <laughs> I think pushing the ideal too much that the church has failed a little bit in that as well. Yeah. Uh, I was hey, listening to this uh, sermon the other week and it, it's uh, making me relate to this conversation. It, it was talking about faith, but I think it could be applied. But it, the speaker was talking about how our our faith or like things that are happening in the world that happen for our good. It's not based on the quality of our faith. It is the object of our faith. So I can, you, you know, like things that are working for my good. It's not that I'm believing it. And, you know, like the, per, like the, the person that, um, faintly believes that the sun will rise tomorrow. Oh, and versus the person that knows that the sun will rise tomorrow or things will turn around for them. Like those things don't happen. Good things don't happen or bad things for that matter. Like it's not about because the person's faith. That. Yeah, it's because God is God and God makes things happen. And I think in the same way, we, you know, this the subject of, you know, women finding their self-worth, it's like God still loves that person no matter what. God still makes that person whole. And we need to believe the narrative that God fills in the gaps and not trying to turn inwardly and say, like, I need to fix myself. I need to have all these self-help seminars, you know, like I'm the one that has to, you know, like it, it always starts with our own hearts, of course, but it has to start with our own hearts turning towards God and sub- and surrendering to the fact that God can be God and I can be his creature. 
and not the other way around where it's like I can be a self-made woman and I can be independent. Mm-hmm. I can be strong. Like, and, and, and I think we struggle against that narrative as p- women in 2016 or actually 2017. I, I'm sure this is, that's when this <laughs> During another was. month we'll be, yeah. we'll still be struggling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's, uh, we, we, uh, struggle against that because we are told that we need to be these strong women because we have this weird like you know the feminist movement have made us think that we need to and we do we need to be strong but like not in the way that I think that a lot of the world pushes I think we need to be strong in understanding that again I, I know I kept saying this but like that God is our God and we can mm-hmm. rely on him to to make up for the things that we lack men and women have you all heard of <clears> – <throat> I'm sure you have because you're in the film industry to some degree, but I don't know if you'd say film industry, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> sure, they'll do that. Yeah. Um, have you all, you all have seen the play Man from La Mancha? Yes. Or Man of La Mancha? Do, do you remember it at all? I, you, I don't um, remember a lot of there's, it. Everyone should see this or at least see the movie, which I didn't find that terrific. It's that, You remember that beautiful song, To Dream the Impossible Dream? Uh-huh, that right. song, that's from this movie. And, and it's about this guy who goes into this bar and he meets this like kitchen wench mm-hmm. who allows herself to be sexually had by these drunk men at night and then these same men to call her all sorts of vulgar things during the day while she serves them beer. And he comes in and he falls madly in love with her and he starts calling her by a new name. And it's in... in, in, in that's right, yeah. which means, which I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, does that mean the beautiful one or something like, like that? sweet, sweet one. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he calls her this, and what does she do? Well, she spits at him, and she <laughs> abuses him, and she hits back at him, but he just can't stop, and he comes, you know, day after day, same thing, until eventually, mm. you know, there's there's a skip in her step, and a song on her lips, and a sparkle in her eyes, as she begins to allow this the love to sort of penetrate the hardness of her own heart, and uh, that's the Christian story right there. I mean, Amen. I often think that Christianity isn't too hard to believe; it's that it's too good to believe. Mm, yeah, because no matter that's what I think, it, yeah, no matter what I think about myself or whatever you happen to think about yourself, like apparently. God disagrees. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like it's, it's the whole story of Christianity is yeah. God disagreeing that we're crap. <laughs> you know, it, like... it's it's funny because you know, Man of La Mancha is based on Don Quixote, um, right. and it's funny because the, that's the whole romance of that novel is that he's going around being crazy and everybody's just like laughing at him. And the reason why he attaches so much to Dulcinea is because he is a knight. He sees himself as a knight that's looking for this lady that he can make all these sacrifices to and this lady that he can go out, this ideal that he can go out and fight these battles for and come back and bring her back, you know, his handkerchief or whatever. And it's just so funny (laughs) that um, that ends up still affecting her because there's still the quality of pure goodness 
and pure mm. love that even though he's going off, like, it doesn't really start out because it's a necessarily very good ideal. You would, you, you know, like, it's not necessarily based on something good as having this, like, this ideal that he's just going to go out and fight for and come back. Although I guess you could argue that or whatever. He still sees something in her and that still ends up affecting her. So it's kind of like... We we can go out and have our crazy things, and God can still work in right. our lives and in the lives of others. That's kind of what I got from it. Well, because I know that you do talk a lot about porn recovery, and we did have a listener question, which was, why is it so important to have an accountability uh, buddy or partner? Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask you about like, how do you take the step, the first steps in porn recovery and then about the aspect of having someone to hold you accountable? It's accountability is important because some things can only be healed by the antiseptic light of truth. And if we are engaged in a behavior that is between me and my computer, then that thing won't be able to heal and so we need to invite someone else that we trust into that area of our lives even just so that they can know what we're doing and love us in it so that we don't fall into the trap of thinking we're irredeemable or unlovable um i think that's why it's crucial so if i'd say if there's a woman she should find a female accountability partner if it's a bloke he should find a, a male accountability partner But just real quick, I would say that freedom from porn isn't so much a destination that we reach as it is a daily choice that we make by our actions. And I think too often we treat it like the former. And so we'll say things like, what's the prayer I need to pray? What's the book I need to read? Mm. Um, Am I wearing the right colored scapula? You know, what's (laughs) what's the thing I have to do? Uh, In order to find freedom. And I mean, what on earth does that even mean? Like, what does freedom feel like? Do you wake up and touch your face and have and go, oh, my gosh, what is this sensation that's come? This must be freedom. You know, like I think as as Christians, heaven is our goal. Right. That's what we want to aim at. And and purity, like sexual purity, purity of intention, these sorts of things is part of the fuel that's going to help us get there. Uh, and so rather than saying, I'll never do this again, I think it's more and more helpful to say, today I'm going to be the sort of person I want to be, and I'm not going to let porn stand in my way. Right. And to not think of it as an all or nothing event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like, think about yeah. it like working out. Like, I, I've been going through these different stages. I don't know about y'all, but you know, I, was big in, I was big into CrossFit at one point, and yeah. then I did Whole30. I'm like, yeah. I feel good. I look good. And yeah. then I, like, eat a bag of caramels and hate myself. Um, so, like, <laughs> yes. yeah, not just a woman's thing, right? So this is what I do. And, um, you know, sometimes you can fall into the trap of thinking, well, either I look like this person and look really great and and, and – or like I'm just like a mess, and and then you realize like I don't have to be either of those things. Like I can just you know be fitter than I was yesterday. Like I can, I can keep trying to be more healthy even when I fail, and that's a you know because if if all you thought is I have to look like whoever fill in the blank or else I haven't succeeded, then you'll just live in this like self defeating attitude forever, and you probably will end up just giving up. And I think something like that is true when we struggle against pornography. 
it's not an all or nothing battle. Like mm-hmm. if someone's listening to me right now and they've been struggling with pornography, you're going to have setbacks. You know what I mean? Like you, you will have a setback unless, you know, you stop now and die tomorrow. You'll probably have a setback. But when you have a setback, what's important is that we get up and that we don't look at ourselves because we might just find despair, that we don't look at people doing worse than us because we might congratulate ourselves, but instead that we look at Jesus, uh, who loves us, who isn't scandalized by us, and uh, and sort of continue the walk. So daily choice, not a destination. Mm. That's awesome. No, that's that's wonderful. And I, I thank you, um, Matt. I, I This is hard work, and I feel like you approach it with such grace and understanding, and Mm -hmm. I think that is very good for people to um, have somebody out there advocating for them because just, you know, it is such an isolating thing, and I'm sure all of us know somebody or several people that have struggled with this, and I want to encourage people that there are resources out there, and um, it might be a hard journey, but to talk to somebody about it, and, you know, like you said, women with women, men with men, but have somebody that you can talk this out with um, and know that you are not alone in it and know that people can help you even in just loving you through, you know, your whatever struggle this is and to know that God still loves you even because I can, I can see, you know, the sort of shame and guilt that somebody can uh, wear around their neck if this is something that they are struggling with in the same way that any sexual impurity behavior can affect a person, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, lacking in celibacy or, you know, any of those categories. Uh, <laughs> That's a very there, euphemistic way of putting it. <laughs> lacking in celibacy. <laughs> but there, everybody struggles with this sort of thing. And we are all sexually broken people because we live in post fall and pre Christ coming back. So, you know, this, this is something that we can support each other in. So thank you, Matt. You're such an amazing way yeah. to start, start my day, <laughs> <laughs> but it was very encouraging and I, I love the work that you're doing and I just want to thank you. So where can our listeners find you online? <clears throat> Yeah, they could. Um, Matt Frad is my name. Believe it or not, it's actually two names. I think a lot of people think my first name is Matt Frad. It's two <laughs> names. It's M A T T F R A D D. So you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, right now, um, I'm about to publish a book um, oh, in the sp- yeah in the spring of 2017. And it's a book with Ignatius Press, and it took about three years to research, write, and edit. And it's actually a non-religious book. So there's no talk of Jesus or Mm. sin or church teaching at all. All it is is a sort of scientific and logical response to pro-porn arguments. There's about 35 page pages of bibliography, you know, the sources. So it's it's really well researched, and I'm really happy about it. I, I, I maybe in two years I'll I'll look back and think ah should have done much better than that. But right now <laughs> I feel really good about this book, and I think it will bless a lot of people. It's going to be called the Porn Myth. So um you wow. know That's I'd encourage awesome. people to yeah, look out I for that. Wait. Yeah, do you, yeah. Uh, whenever it comes out, I'm I'm definitely going to get it. And Please, maybe, thank you. Maybe if you're not too flooded with your fan base, we can have you back to talk about the book. It's always funny when people say that to me because I speak to <laughs> young people about porn. So, like, if this is famous, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what George Clooney is, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I'd be more than happy to come back that's on wonderful. if you'd yeah, have me. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. And we, I think it. that's one thing that we're always 
definitely needing is how to engage with people that don't share our faith. Because I feel like so often we kind of get stuck in this little bubble where we just keep repeating the same words over and over, you know, even words like intrinsic evil to someone that doesn't share our faith. They won't, that won't really like sit well with them or or even mean anything to them. So, um, so I think that's definitely needed and very awesome that you're doing that. Love it. Yep. Well, Well, I'm glad you think it's awesome. Thank you for liking me. (laughs) I like people who like me. It makes me feel good. Please say hello to your wonderful wife, and at some point, we would love to have her on as well. Yeah. Oh, um, I, nice you're you. such a fan of her podcast, and I just downloaded a bunch of your episodes just now um, for your your podcast, so I'm looking forward to uh, listening to that as well. So thank you, Matt Frad from Atlanta, or speaking to us from Atlanta anyway, um, and he has a book out next spring, The Porn Myth. What a great title. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men, on Twitter as at LA Gone Fishing, and at Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There's an underscore between each word. Please rate and make comments on iTunes as it will help people discover us. Yes. Once again, I'm Laura Samara. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.